Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Ecruel, Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. So my first guest is fresh off the back of a treble yesterday, including listed successes, ridden over 200 winners and is enjoying a fine time of it at the moment. I'm smiling through the morning you have been Holly Doyle. Welcome to the studio. How's things? Things are good at the moment, surely? Yeah, things are going excellent. I can't, can't um, advise them to be any better at the moment, to be honest. Can you reflect on yesterday, first of all? Was it the fact that you were coming in here and you were thinking, <laughs> I need to have had a good day, give you the inspiration to go out and ride that treble? Yeah, no, yesterday was um, very good, obviously. It was great to bag that listed winner for Mr Vaughan and Mr Oppenheimer. Um, very nice filly. And then, obviously, uh, the next race went and rode a winner for William Stone, who's been very supportive, supportive of me from day one. Um, and then we went on to Doncaster, and Keso went and topped it off and won nicely up there. What Was that, I mean, in all seriousness, when you come off the back of a... Of a a double like that in two very different styles. You go up to Donny for one five to one favourite. Do, do you go up there with that bit of extra confidence? Would it have been a, a very different drive and a very different feel had you been chinned on a couple and you're heading up to Doncaster for one and you, and, and you start doubting yourself? Or is that is that something that you as a as a jockey need to learn mental strength wise? Um, a long time ago that would have been a yeah mentally challenging, but. Now it's just, you've just got to be resilient to that kind of thing, and I am now, so just the way it is. We've been sat this morning outside, and you, from the outset, have been quite, actually quite hard on yourself, I think, when you were <laughs> reflecting on a few years ago, which I was quite surprised about. You know, you obviously driven and you have to be, but, but reflecting, you've been quite, uh, genuinely quite hard on yourself, saying, I wasn't all that a few years ago. You clearly feel much better about your, your riding now, but is, is that something that you've you've incorporated into to your process, looking back at, at past times and thinking, I, I, I could have been better then, I should have been better then? Um, well, I, I, you know, when I first came into the race and I, had, I, was, I came in all guns blazed and I wanted it to happen so quickly. Obviously, it doesn't happen quickly, I know that now, but um, I just wasn't um, naturally progressing as, as quick as I thought I should be. Um, it hasn't been, you know, until the last three years where I've, you know, I've, I've improved and I've become good enough. Um, no, but it, it's, it's it's okay at the moment. <laughs> it's better than okay at the moment. Take us back then, right to the right to the start. When when and why did Holly Doyle say I'm going to be a jockey? Oh, for as long as I can remember, I've been born and bred into the game. Um, I remember I, I had my last last day at high school and kind of went home, packed my bags, and said, "See you, mum. See you, dad." <laughs> and I was off. You know, went down to Dave Evans's, um, moved out home. And I went in, went into the game all guns blazing. Was there a point where anyone around you said, "Are you sure? 
you know, you're leaving high school, are you sure this is what you want to go and do? It's a tough world out there. Or did you have full support from the word go? No, I had full support from my family and friends. The only people that used to doubt it was obviously uh, the teachers at school. They said, you need a backup plan. I said, oh, I know that. But <laughs> I, I, was, I had a pure tunnel vision. But I suppose that's teachers' teacher's job in a way, isn't it? If they're not directly connected, particularly with a sport like horse racing, which may seem that 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 little bit different to them, and that they've got a young girl saying, "I'm going to go off and be a jockey," they might say, "Hang on a second, you you need a." But for you, there was. Did you almost not give yourself an option of a fullback? No, no options. That was all or nothing, really, for me. <laughs> so I've been pretty lucky, and thank God it's it's working out at the moment. Uh, it is working out really well at the moment. Um, as, as you say, things didn't necessarily happen overnight. You were an amateur very briefly, weren't you? Yeah, no. Uh, the first licence I took out was with Dave Evans. And um, as an amateur, I think it was for a few months, I think six months, if that. Um, we, we quickly uh, discovered I was way too light. I think I was about six stone when I had my first ride. And my first ride actually won at Salisbury. Um, so that was unbelie- an unbelievable day. Um, How much lead did you have? Three and a half stone, four stone. Um, had a, I had a few more rides than as an amateur, and then I went apprentice. Because obviously I had done quite well when I was an amateur. I had four or five winners in a very short space of time. Um, I had very high expectations to do well as an apprentice, and I think my boss did as well. But I wasn't naturally progressing as quickly as I ought to have been or should have been. Um, I was very small, very weak, very light. Um, did, did that hold you back then to an extent? Did you feel you had to do as much as you could to get that bit bigger and stronger? Uh, yeah, you know, and it's the last three years I've really, you know, worked hard on that aspect of things. Um, I'm, an, I'm only five foot, but, you know, I, I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm, I'm getting, getting there <laughs> strength-wise. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, you say your first ride, you're, you're about six stone. Mm. Um, and you, God even knows how you got the saddle out there. I didn't. <laughs> uh, you, you, you can't have done. Um, in fact, I remember interviewing you after a race once, and I think you said, I can't hang on to this much longer because <laughs> this saddle is very, very heavy. Yeah. Um, but, that, I mean, that, that must have been... We, we talk about the other end of the spectrum and, and, and jockeys who struggle with their weight for, for reasons that they, they can't get low enough. Whereas for you, mm. that's never going to be an issue necessarily. But I suppose as a, as a, a teenager growing up, you... You want to be trying getting as big as possible because otherwise, physically, your your size could have held you back. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, a great example of that is o- over this winter, I've worked I worked really hard in Exy House with um, Gavin, and I, I've put on half a stone um, muscle mass, and and that's made a huge difference to my ride, and I feel a lot better for it. How, how's that happened? So so lots of gym, nutrition, education about nutrition, eating the right things? Um, not really the nutrition side of things, just purely gym. Yeah, purely gym and I just bulked up, filled out. Um, I suppose the older you get, you do tend to fill out and I have. I was very slight and narrow when I, I first started off. Um, but I, I filled out well <laughs> for me <laughs> now. But in a good way, yeah. You know, in a, in a, it's like that, this is what this, that's exactly what you wanted to do, and it, and it was essential for your riding. And have you now noticed the difference of that? Do you feel stronger in your races? Yeah, huge difference. I mean, obviously, at such a, I started off at such a young age, and I was still still a kid, so naturally you're going to grow and fill out, um, and that has really helped, to be honest.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Uh, welcome back to the Luck on Sunday studio on Racing TV this Sunday morning. Holly Doyle is still alongside. I'm delighted to say that Chris Hughes and Jim McGrath have joined me in the studio. Gentlemen, how are we? Chris, all well? Very well, yeah, extremely well. Jim, I, I feel like I've been stalking you the last few days. Uh, Newbury, so. yeah. No, good fun day at Newbury, actually, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't it a great day. We'll come to that as well. Um, Chris, first of all, you thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, thanks for having me. It's great to have you in, actually, because as somebody that is well-connected with the racing industry, but won't necessarily be, if everyone know who Chris Hughes is through racing initially, for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. We are Love Island season, <laughs> after all. But you have been incredibly outspoken on your social media channels, yeah. really in defence of racing. And I think as an industry, it's, it's been great to see that. Yeah, no, definitely. No, obviously, I grew up with, with horses. I had my first couple of ponies when I was about eight years old. The first sort of racehorse I ever sat on was Earth Summit back in the day when I was 12 in Earth Summit's retirement. And that's where my uh, ponies were initially kept here, point-to-point yard there, with Marcella Bayliss, who looked after Earth Summit. But yeah, race has just been part of my family. Um, I live next door to John Joe Neal. So we were just having a chat up there, weren't we, Jim? Just reminiscing old times. But yeah, um, no, it's brilliant. It's absolutely love the sport and just... Yeah, you know, racing, especially jump racing, living in the Cotswolds, it's, it's been something that's part of my blood and part of my life since yeah, since I was a young boy. Do you think, Chris, that had you not, given what else you've seen in the world and, and, and plenty and what yeah. else you've done, do you think had you not grown up around horses, had you not grown up in the Cotswolds, etc., do you think racing would have ever been on your agenda? You know, as a young man growing up in, in, a, in a media world, if you like, would you have ever thought, oh, horse racing, I'm, I'm quite interested in that, or would that not have ever happened, do you think? It's, it's a good it's a good question. It's probably one I've really been asked in terms of you know in that in that respect. But I think just with the links, you know, my dad and my and my mum are good family friends with John Janiel, so that was an opportunity for me. I, I ride out up at there from from time to time, and it's it's a difficult one because growing up in the Cotswolds, you know, I went to school with Sam Twiston Davis, Willie Twiston Davis. You got Matt Holdsworth now who does House and Holdsworth, the the Bloodstock. You got the Schumachs, Connor Kieran, you Jonathan and David England. Like, like the list goes on, really. So for me, I grew up; they were all my friends. So I'm very fortunate to kind of ease my way into the industry. In, in that was, respect, was there ever a time that Chris Hughes thought about <laughs> Being doing a, what Holly did? Do you know what? This, this, <laughs> this is funny. So in school, growing up, like we we loved it. Me, Sam, and Matthew Holsworth. So Sam was always going to be the trainer. Because out of the two, out of Sam and Willie, the one with all the ability growing up was Willie. <laughs> so, so, and all the dirt now. All the dirt, yeah. No, Sam was... Um, Sam wanted to be a trainer. I don't think growing up, necessarily, he wanted to be a, a, a jockey. I think he wanted to follow in his, in his dad's footsteps. And Willie was always the one, you know, the brave man. You know, the strong little lad who was, had no fear he was going to become a, become a jockey. But, yeah, no... Um, I did, yeah, I did want to do. I was going to. That's what I was going to be. Sam was going to be the trainer to the horses that I rode, but it obviously all failed. I put on a few more stone, and he stayed a bit short, and yeah, it's good as golf for I him. Mean, to be fair, looking at it, you, might you might have struggled out to be a jockey. Yeah, I think so. Six foot now, and I think I weigh. Oh God, I don't know why I am. I can't remember the last time I weighed myself. But I'll be about twelve and a half. Kicking on towards 13. There's not a lot to move off the subject. Jim, (laughs) going round the circle. We know about Holly. We can find the details online. 12 and a half, Jim. 
uh, around 12 and a half as yeah, well. Solid, yeah, fair yeah. Enough. solid, fair enough. Solid, solid weight. No, it's not solid. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. <laughs> not at all. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting you touched upon that, particularly in jump racing, I yeah. think. There is that. There is that family feel to it. You grow up in and around people who work in jump racing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I grew up as a, as a jump racing fan and went yeah. into jumps yards. Flat racing, I was I was always a little bit distanced from that actually. And I that was. I think it's just quite. I think the whole jump world is quite a very close community. I mean, living in the cot. I could say this from experience. Living in the Cotswolds, you look at who you got around you. You got Nigel Twiston Davis. You got Fergal O'Brien. You got you know McPherson. You got you know the list goes on. John Joe. There's so many trainers based around such a such a small area. So it is, it is a racing community there. So growing up in it, you're either part of it or you're not. There's no real in between. You're either not involved in horse racing or you are. There's no oh I'm involved in it a little bit. You kind of one or the other. Mm. So I was for, I'm just very fortunate growing up in the Cotswolds. I think you know, that's a lovely part of the world and it's a massive racing hotspot, especially for obviously jump racing. And that's where the jump racing. Um, comes from because yeah did you actually think growing up you might end up on something like love island no i, I do you know i blossomed when i say i blossomed i'd be be a modesty <laughs> i blossomed when i was like when i started growing a beard i think <laughs> i reckon about I think you can say that i reckon oh you should have seen some, some picture of me in school were horrendous well, well we've got, got some actually maybe. <laughs> <laughs> i wish we did no we, we should no. have done that no we shouldn't have well, um, some pictures of you be careful yeah that's that, actually jim you know all too well <laughs> quite right too you know all too you, well you'd have you'd have made love island a few years ago <laughs> yeah, i'm not <laughs> a few sure. years ago. i'm not i'm not sure i'm not yeah, sure got a nice quiff I'd, keep, I'd be keeping the i'd be keeping the, the t-shirt on <laughs> i'll be honest i can't compete with that oh mate no it was um no i never never thought i'd be on the show i mean i applied when 100 thousand people applied and I think 20, 20 odd people got on the whole show over that series and that series three a couple of years ago in 2017 is where Love Island blew up in terms of viewers and publicity and the way it was kind of viewed and watched and everything I think that most of the, most of the nation was watching I don't know if you watched Jim did you Love Island Glue to it. Glue to it, yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> it is speedos every night. <laughs> Ollie, it's past my bedtime, Chris. <laughs> have, you, have, you ever, have you ever watched it? Have you seen it? I'm guilty, yeah. You, you are? are? Yeah. Did you watch the one with Christy? Yeah, I did. Best series, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> you watched it this year? Yeah. Yeah. You need, you need that bit of TV in your life, because it's, it's downtime, isn't it? I think you need, I think, genuinely, I think that, that release is quite good. Particularly, in, I mean, with horse racing, you could... You could <laughs> You find ways to justify this. <laughs> the, the the watching something that is you know that you don't have to switch on to too much. I think can be. But in horse racing, you, there is so much racing that you can find yourself. You know, and, and this is somebody that, that doesn't ride horses, but you can find yourself all night. You can be reflecting on meetings you haven't seen. You can just be going through through. And sometimes I think it's quite nice to just go right. I'm just going to switch off and watch something like yeah. like this. Well, you know, I actually defended you when you and Ollie were ridiculed on social media all week for leaving the World Cup. <laughs> I said the boy had his Windsor homework to do. Of course, he left early. It's much more important. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> That's great. You know, there's the Barmy Army and the Bell. I, th- I think that word should have a few more letters at the end. Army. Yeah. <laughs> but we won't repeat them on this show. Anyway, World Cup. Whoa, you missed the end. Well done. I can't believe. I just can't believe that happened. Yeah. The greatest World Cup 
finish to any sporting event and, I mean, you've, and you've missed it have you did, but George Baker's letter really rubs salt in the wound as well in today's post just saying what, what a wonderful day it was yeah <laughs> did you see it Holly I did yeah did great good I can't believe that Play you know, Holly and, and, and Ollie really did say he was Ben Stokes' brother is that, that is true is it? it 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 was a Ollie is a very quick thinker and he is but normally, not a very slick thinker he's normally he, I mean he's very good at at moving things along his way, and we, it nearly worked. But Did it I'm, not occur to him to say he was Ian Bell's brother? That could, that would have been a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you had to. It was a, it was a desperate moment, Jim. I'll be honest. <laughs> I th- the realise at the moment you get that realisation of this is this has gone badly. That it was. I heard yeah. at the time there was somebody there, like a, a fan of his. He was saying they asked him. For a picture at the time, he goes, "Oh, aren't you Wally Ball of ITV?" Well, it blew his so cover well. completely. Yeah, he's trying to get somebody. Not, right, not right now. He's trying to get in his. Yeah, Ollie, Ollie, St- Ollie Stokes. Yeah, we, we'll we'll do well to live that down. We will oh, really live it very down. well to live that down. No. Um, let's turn. Let's turn around. To, I get this sinking feeling inside. It's horrible. Oh, that's brutal. Um, which I just want to pick up on because we talked about you being in defence of um, a lot of things that that you've had thrown at you on welfare issues on. Yeah. On social media, Chris, um, we've had Mark Johnson being quite outspoken um, about the BHA and about the whip. We've got um, Sir Mark Prescott in, in the in the paper today. He, we know his views on the whip. Um, just first of all, Chris, from, from your point of view, I think you've always sought to answer people that have that have written things on social media. Yeah. You must get it quite a lot, given the broader appeal that you have of yeah. people looking at racing, saying that is cruel, and how can you defend it? Yeah, they. People target me on social because I'm active on socials. I've got a large following. So I could upload a picture with Annie Mac or a racehorse or something or me riding out and people will question, how can I support the sport? Obviously, I've grown up with the sport. But, you know, you look at the, the, the welfare of these animals, there's, there's never been a better time where they've been looked after ever. I mean, you've only got to go to a race. This is what I try to do. I try to encourage people. You're not going to work because it's the 21st century. Like, this. There's an ignorance and there's an arrogance to, to people listening to, to other people's points. When people are stuck in their ways about one thing or another, it's hard to get that point across. Like people don't really listen to you. So, you know, I try to encourage people, you know, go, go to a race yard. Just look at the way these horses are treated. It's not just, you know, it's not just what, what you see on the TV. They've got, obviously, you know, a stable lad or lass and look after them. You know, someone will ride them out each day. There's, there's a number of, you know, different people who look after every individual horse and they're looked after with such care. There's, if, I, if I passed away and I came back as an animal, I'd want to come back as a racehorse. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just a lovely, it's a lovely life. And, and, and Holly, for you, somebody that, that grew up in and around racing and now somebody that rides horses, I mean, was, that, was, was the, the word cruel ever on your agenda? No, not at all. Horses get better treatment than... Humans. Yeah, Yeah. in a lot of cases they do. And I think ultimately the public need educating. They need to come into the yards and see that they're treated like, you know, different class. But, but, and therefore, do we have a social responsibility as an industry? Um, Which I think is, is something that, that is going on now with the with the whip debate, and it and it's and it's not actually what it does, but it is how it looks. It's how it looks on public perception that we have a social responsibility to educate and make sure people realise that there is no brutality. Some of the terms we use, we need to be careful with, so that the, the public are aware that there is no harm being done to to these animals. I think that's a good point. I mean, we, we want racing on terrestrial television. The 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 exposure for the sport as a whole. 
uh, on, you know, ITV have the contract at the minute and they do a fantastic job. They cover an awful lot of racing. Um, we want that to continue. That's great for the sport and attracting sponsors and things like that. Um, so ultimately, if there's an element of the audience and there's a significant element of the audience, as Chris has already alluded to, that can't identify with riding an animal because aspirationally racing is far harder to come across than, say, kick a football, uh, use a tennis racket, use a cricket bat. It's, it's not so easy to jump, mm. just go and get a horse and jump on it. So it is much, much harder for them to identify with it. And they see something that they think is cruel um, or, or they think um, is being used as, if you want, for want of a better word, coercion. And it's up to racing to prove and to show that it's not. Yeah. Um, so, um, another article Mark wrote on his blatherings on his website a couple of months ago was that he's frustrated to the point that he sometimes feels that people running the sport are almost on the side of the antis rather than, than the professionals that they're supposed to regulate. Now, it is a fine balance, and there is a strong lobby against racing, apparently, um, in Parliament at the minute, and it's up to racing to defend itself. But giving in all the time isn't the way to defend ourselves. We don't... We don't have a lot to be ashamed of. No, nothing, exactly. I mean, it's like Mark Johnson said, you give them an inch and you justify yourself and they're going to take a mile. Next it will be jump race and it'll be gone. You know, flat race will be gone because it's just going to spiral. This was my point. If you... The people in charge are making these decisions, like, if you ban the whip... It all comes down to the welfare of the animal. That's why the whip would be banned, because it's the way that people perceive it on the animal. If you do that, at what point then? Like, that you're getting yourself in deep water there, because you've then got to answer the questions come April, 6 o'clock on a Saturday after the National, mm. when you know the people really come to play on socials and make their opinions vocal about jump racing and the, just the obstacles. You're going to have... You can't... You're going to have to be careful if you do anything regarding the whip, because then you're going to have to answer questions to the jumps. You might have to... Look, we don't want... Uh, he's, he's, he, you don't, do you know what I mean? But, 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 but in some ways, I remember going and seeing um, Smart Prescott a few years ago and, and him t saying, 50 years, will we still have jump racing? Kim Bailey talks uh, back in the, in the early 90s, him writing an article and saying, in 20 years, will we have jump racing? And yet here we are, where something like the Cheltenham Festival is, is as strong as it's ever been. But it's, it's, this, it's this world we live in. No, quite frankly, like, it's part of the sport. Like, you can't... You can't just, you can't get rid of it. It's, it's Used modern... correctly, it's an essential part. Of, it's uh, an uh, instrument. It, it, the horse racing's about winning. It's about finding the best horse. Now, it's not about winning at all costs. It's about getting the best out of your animal. And the whip is a very effective way, a necessary way of doing that. Um, wh why this whole thing has blown up again over the last two weeks was on this programme. Um, I understand Charlie Fellow's original point about it, about saying he wished his, uh, you know, n nowadays if he had a Royal Ascot winner like that again, he, he hoped it would be disqualified because the rider, his rider on this occasion, broke the rules. But actually, the, the rule, in effect, caused the problem, in my opinion, because as someone that's been in racing for 40 years in one capacity or another, if we're, if we're talking about throwing out a horse that was ridden like that, the Hayley Turner Road, uh, the, the winner of the, of the Britannia, yeah. and we're saying that's unacceptable. We might as well give up, because she, could have, she, she isn't a strong rider in the terms of she's strong with a whip. She's very tidy, very effective. The horse was running for her. They were tapped. She had to go back and count. And you go, that's inoffensive. That, 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 sorry, that's offensive. Yeah. That, that has caused all this ruckus. 
I mean, for goodness sake. But they were sake, tups. They but, were the, tups. But, but regardless of whether they're tups or not, they, they don't hurt. The animal doesn't feel the way it's, it's, it's just, it's such a soft piece of equipment. I wake up, I said to you, I wake up, this is, my pain threshold is nothing. I wake up in the morning. I said, I'm right? not sure you should go down here. Right, but but I, know, I know you've been serious. Go on. But, but, but I wake up in the morning, all my riding equipment's like in my bedroom, end of my bed. When I'm looking to find clothes in the morning, I'll pick up my whip. And I, and I want, cause just like, just willy-nilly, and I think, like, look, walking around the room trying to find my clothes, I've got my whip. But I just, you can, it don't, you can smack it, I'm just, like, trying to find my T-shirt, what to wear, and I'm just walking around the whip, smacking it against your leg. It doesn't hurt. The things don't hurt. They're like, a, it's just... It's an irritant. It's just, it just, I have a pain threshold, and it's nothing like a, like a racehorse. But it, it just, I just don't get how it's... So I just don't get how it's a discussion. Just, just for somebody that that uses the whip it, it, as you do it, on a racehorse, are you are you counting because of the rule that's in place? And if that rule was different, would it change the way that that you ride, Holly? Um, these days, I, I don't think it would probably change the way I ride. I, I mean, you use your stick to the best effect. Um, these days, the younger generation are educated from a from the word go, how to effectively use your stick. Um, you know, it can be used ineffectively by hitting a horse four or five times. But if you've used it effectively in the right manner, um, I, th- I think the number is just a number. But, the, but, but it's just, is it just a number now because you know that you won't lose a race if you go over it? I.e., if you're riding a horse and it is responding... And you know that if you give it three more taps and break the rules, it will wi- it will very likely win the race you're riding in. Does that mean that that whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you are willing to go over that permitted amount? And if you were to lose the race, if you did that, would that that would that would definitely stop you doing so? Yeah, no. Consciously, I do not want to go over the limit because I don't want to be banned for two or three days. I don't want to. I'm I'm self-employed. I'm going to lose out on fees you know, a, a livelihood. Um, not many industries, you get banned from, uh, your, you know, going to work every day and earning your money um, because of a mistake you've made. Um, I think if if the rule was put in place that you, you go over the X amount of hits, the race is taken off you, obviously jockeys are going to be a lot more conscious to that because it's unfair on the owner the trainer you're going to lose the ride definitely lose the ride um but i I just think that jockeys are educated enough now that you know it shouldn't need to lead to that Mm. you can't subconsciously go into a race and think how many you've got to be responsive to what's happening in the race if you're not willing to win a horse race you you grow up and you want to be a jockey and you want to win Mm. races you're going to want to win it doesn't matter you shouldn't be involved in the sport if you don't want to win I mean, a race. it's an unbelievable scenario we're discussing. I mean, you're asking Holly and she's giving you an honest answer. But you're actually saying to jockeys now, uh, I know I'd win this if I gave it three more. Three, three more encouragements. Oh, but I won't because I might break the rules and get disqualified. So I won't win. I mean, a, a, a sporting event. It's a sporting event. It's what we breed horses for for 300 years. These aren't horses taken out of a field. We're not depriving donkeys from the beach. They're bred to race. There's an in-flight response in them, which we, which we engender, the rider engenders. Now, yes, there have to be strong guidelines, and I don't mind the guideline. You use that more than seven times, 
on the flat. We're going to look at that. They go and look at it. Hayley Turner, absolutely fine. Move on. Shut up, you lot. She did nothing wrong. She got a horse running. It wasn't inoffensive. It wasn't out of rhythm. Let's please move on. Now, a contentious one that I defended that Chris immediately reacted to. I worked with Alex Hammond last year. She immediately reacted to was Thunder Snow. Mm. Now, I said, well, that's the way the horse is ridden. A lot of people in racing think that's horrible and the horse shouldn't be ridden like that because you said not only does it look bad, it probably is bad as well. Mm. Thunder Snow we're talking about. It was a very, very lazy horse. There have to be limits. I think it's... I think to the... This is... It's naked eye stuff, this is, but, you know, when you've got people commenting on... You know, people commenting on the whip with Hayley Turner, they wouldn't, they wouldn't see that. People who aren't involved in horse racing wouldn't know that she's... But, you, but you, you're saying, what you're saying is you would with this. Yeah, I think, yeah. This, I think this is a lot more... This is a lot more graphic. visible, graphic. Yeah. And, and is this where, from your point of view, as somebody that, that is involved in worlds far-reaching from horse racing, has that public perception angle on your, on your mind going... That doesn't look great to people outside racing, and we need that social responsibility. But, but we, I, I'm involved with a horse called Battle of Ideas, and that horse is a pig, and that needs waking up. So, you know, Harry Cobden rides in. But that needs you, you almost need it to. Sometimes you, sometimes you need to like you need to wake yeah. the animal up a bit for their safety as well. If Battle of Ideas is one of our, if, if Harry Cobden doesn't give it you know, a little tap behind the saddle just to wake up, the thing will run through its fences and, and, and hurt himself. But, but again, you will now have people, who, again, who are... Because that's a, that's a term from within horse racing that you will say, very off the cuff, say, oh, this is a whatever, and from somebody that loves horses. But then there'll be people outside horse racing going, you can't call a horse that. Do you see what I mean? It's so far-reaching yeah. that, that people say... Well, he won the other day, so, so he's not a pig. No, it's just a phrase. Like, yeah. but, it's, but, and we, but we're in this world now where we're, in this world we're where treated we have on eggshells all the time. On, yeah, and, yeah. And, it's, and it's a horrible society. It's a horrible world to live in. Like, even 10 years, you're not going to have this discussion any other time. We're having this discussion now because it's the 21st century. It's the world we live in, and everybody feels like their opinion is valid. No one thinks they're wrong in this day and age, and that's why it's hard to educate these people, because there's such an ignorance to actually wanting to learn what's right from what they believe is wrong. And, it, and, it's, and it, that's the hardest part. The hardest part is getting it across to people, because there's a willingness not to, not to listen or learn. But, but horse racing in general contributes to this country's economy more than three and a half billion pounds in all the various ways. It's slightly more than that, actually. So three and a half billion pounds. And we're told it's under threat in, in some corners from Parliament. One about the whip and welfare and things like that. And racing should be called to account. I'm not saying it should just be in its own little bubble and not be answerable. But it has to be robust in its defence. There have to be guidelines, sensible guidelines. But you can't pander to opinion from people that have no experience about what we do. It, OK, it's, it's on terrestrial television and the example we've just shown, and I'm not picking on Christoph Zooming because he doesn't ride over here regularly and I don't have to talk to him. That, I agree, is excessive. I didn't say so at the time, but I can see other people's point of view on it. And, you know, the, the, it's up to the people running the sport to find the right balance, hard though it is, the right balance between, yeah, we are doing this, we do look at that, we are watching this, and saying... Our profession's been going for 300 years. Our business has been going for 300 years. More than that in some cases. We've, we've got very strong rules, very strong core values, and we love what we do.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Irish Oaks, Frankie Vittori, yet another uh, group one for him. Um, I think it's fair to say riding at the top of his game at the moment. We had uh, a horse in the form of uh, Sovereign in the Irish Derby go forward, make call, and um, Frankie seized his opportunity here. We know how good he is from the front, and there was no catching uh, this filly. Uh, it, it really is unbelievable how the the Gosden Dottori Holly bandwagon just keeps rolling on. Yeah, and no, I think, what is it, eight Group 1 winners in the last 51 days for Frankie. Um, he's, you know, this is <laughs> an incredible ride he's given the filly, you know, to, to, to win a Group 1 from the front is tactically brilliant, really. I was surprised how easy he had it in front, but you need a willing partner to be able to ride them like that to get the fractions right, get the breathers in that you need, and the filly has responded terrifically for him is from a from a riding perspective is there an easier ride to give a horse i.e either from the front or if you're held up and you've got got cover or, or does it just depend how the race pans out what i'm getting at is when it works well is, is this is this the best way sometimes to approach a race do you think? um it depends on what what you're sat on i mean obviously that filly is you know capable of winning from the front she's she settles well she responds to everything Frankie's asking from her. Um, he might he got the fractions absolutely perfect, and um, you know, obviously she's best horse in the race. We talked about Oaks' form coming into this, and it's a it's a filly who didn't go down that route who's who's come out and won, and it and it I suppose it shows the ammunition that mm. Team Clarehaven have got that they can go. Well, yes, we won the Oaks, but this is another filly who's come out and, and gone down the Ribblesdale route and now won the Irish Oaks. Well, he's got. John Gosden's got six horses at the moment in the Yorkshire Oaks. Enable, Coronet, this one, um, Medi, Medi, Annapurna, and a Philly Princess Hires. I got beaten at Newbury last time, I can't remember the name off the top of my So he's got five are, are proven at top level. It's, mm. it, it, it's not too bad, is it? It's, Take your pick. You know, this Philly was heavily backed in the Riversdale at Ascot. Not many horses can pull the wool over Mr Gosden's eyes and she certainly hasn't hence why they supplemented her. Yeah. Um, Frank is a genius, isn't he? Yeah, different. Good and now what is it? Forty why do you why do you think he's so good? Why do you Holly, what what you know as a young jockey you obviously you look up to people like him, but what, 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 what do you like most about what he does? You give him the ammunition on the big days. He doesn't he doesn't, you know, do anything wrong. He's different, different, different gear. We we talked. I think our, I think when he won at the Breeders' Cup, I think that was when there were a lot of comments about big race rider. Now there is no better big race rider right yeah. now. But what is it about? What's the difference between a really good rider or being a, a fantastic big race rider? Is 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 that all when I it think, comes to up here and handling yeah, pressure? Yeah, I think it's tactically. That's when it. You know, you have to be very switched on. Um, you're on the best horses in the world riding these group ones on a weekly basis so it's down to the jockey quite a lot more than riding at Wolverhampton every day because a lot of the time you're not sat on a horse that can take you into the race um whereas you know on big the big days you're riding horses that can take you wherever you need to be mm. you need to place the horse right to get it to get it and to get it home I think you can see from that even if you haven't ridden yeah. a horse before his timings are unbelievable like he's sent for yeah. Frankie's always in the right place at the right time yeah and it's, it's just it's, a, it's immaculate timings you could, you could see that he's sent for mm. him your horse chasing him down 
but he's done everything at the, at the right point, and it's just well, it's, it's relentless, isn't it? He he, it is unbelievable. Where just to talk about Frankie again for the moment, but but where where he was five years ago, just before the Golden Horn time, to now probably enjoy, enjoying more success than he's ever had on a consistent basis. At the, at the a couple of years or fifty, mm. it's, it's it's a phenomenal turnaround, and back with the man really where he started his career back in the mid to late nineties. Yeah, Fra- Frankie's been he's been through the mill, um, and quite a lot of it was his own fault because, um, you know, when he was when he started to ride for Godolphin, obviously um, he, he gets a bit chippy about it. If you mentioned <laughs> he doesn't do seven days a week, Frankie, in the British season. Now he'll turn around and say to you, "That's because I ride most weekends abroad. I have to ride all winter and this, that, and the other." Um, but it's fair to say uh, he wouldn't like to ride for McEasterby where you ride eight lots in the morning before you go racing. That wouldn't quite suit his work style. Um, I would love to see it. So, so essentially, when the Godolphin job went, um, and for a while he was on his own, there were quite a lot of people that wouldn't use him, not, not because of his talent, because they questioned his attitude. Um, I know one Northern trainer that said, uh, f- funnily enough, he has used him this season, but he said to me four or five years ago, uh, he'd never put him up again because he's so rude to the owners when he got off the horse. It was an ordinary horse, he got off it and, and basically told them it shouldn't... He was probably being objective, but he said, don't think it should be running here. So it didn't go down very well. Um, but he's always been a brilliant talent. And John Gosden, I've said before, I think, obviously... Um, Frankie's long-suffering wife. I mean, she got five children, but she got six really because she got Frankie. Um, there's, there's her. There's Simon Crisford, Luca Kumani, and John Gosden, and they all know how to play him. John Gosden plays him brilliantly. He knows his strengths. Um, uh, panders to him a little bit, uh, and then gets the the stick out occasionally when it's needed. And he'll he'll always. It, I remember when Stradivarius wasn't that fifty for Frankie. I think when Stradivarius won at Ascot, and Frankie mm-hmm. was giving it the big five zero, and John was saying, "This isn't about you." That, I think that's why the balance almost works so well between the it's two really of them at the moment. moment. Yeah, I mean, when when Frankie was young, he had more rides. He had twelve hundred rides one year when he won the championship. He has done all that, but he won't do it now. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Uh, welcome back to Luck on Sunday. We're going to be reflecting on what was a great day at Newbury yesterday. A much warmer day than expected by some as well. I think I'm lucky I've not got a bit of red about me today, but it was a lovely day at, uh, at Newbury yesterday. And it's a great day for Rod Millman, guys. Uh, uh, he was absolutely delighted after uh, this performance from Betty's Hope, who won the Weatherby Super Sprint. She reared up in store 24 under Sylvester D'Souza. I think Richard Farr, he might have thought he'd won a yet another Weatherby Super Sprint. It would have been his fourth in six years. But uh, it wasn't to be because uh, Betty's Hope flew down the near side. So, Philly, you know Holly. Yeah, I actually won on her last time out of Chelmsford, um, Class 2 Nursery. The second horse actually went out and won at um, York. Oh, Purple Rain. Oh, Purple Rain. Of Hannon's went and won at York last week, so it's good form. I always thought she'd, she'd have a right chance in the Super Sprint. She's... She's made for this type of race. This race is an excellent initiative for horses like this. Mr. Mormon paid £3,000 for her, and she went and won, what was it, 125 grand yesterday. That's what that race is for. He, jo- he jokingly said that his first winner of the Super Sprint, Lord Kintara, I think it was, in yeah. 1997, paid for his training over the, next, over the subsequent years, and this one will pay for his retirement. Well, we hope it's not yet, but he, um, 
he'd be delighted with this, Jim. I mean, you know, he's owned by his wife, and um, that's really why the. That, that's what this race is all about, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's for horses. I think it's is it sixty thousand or less. Mm. Sixty three. Sixty three or less. Thank you. And your weight is allocated according to the amount um, that, 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 that each horse costs. And to buy a horse for three thousand, going competing like that, it's it's not it's not completely unusual. But in these days, it doesn't happen that often. And um, you know, he's a fantastic supporter of the game and contributor to Rod and his family, and they're having a good season. So it's great to see. Great yeah. story. They're, they're flying along at the moment. Please say Rod Millman's on the line. Rod, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Tom. Morning. You um, got over the, the joys of yesterday. What were last night's celebrations like? Well, a little bit quiet, really, because there's only me. me um, my sister and I went racing yesterday because all the family were all over the country, all over the place. I mean, Pat's riding in America this weekend. Um, James was racing at uh, Cadwell Park, and Louise is part of his pit crew. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to say actually James who I was in with uh, on racing TV earlier on the week you have to tell him you had a, a great double yesterday Rod he's, he's going to have to not come racing more often now James I think well there you are exactly that's right yes but um, no it's um, I was having a great season I mean I'm, I'm very lucky I've got some really good people working with me which uh, makes all the difference just I mean 22 years ago since your your first and, and most recent winner in the race. Uh, I mean, I asked you afterwards how, how it had changed, but, but has it changed at all, the, the nature of you getting a, a juvenile ready for that race or the, or the process you go through, depending on what they cost, when you think of, of your early horses, you might have three or four and go, ah, that might be a super sprint horse. Does it still work as it, as it always did 20-odd years ago? Uh, it's got a lot harder over the last sort of 10, 10 years or so. Uh, what's happened, the, um, when I was training Lorcan Tyre, you could buy a strong colt, not particularly well-bred, get it really fit, and it they'd be quite hard to beat in the first couple of months of the season. Um, but no, what's happened now, the um, the big new market yards and the, uh, the Arab owners, they're, put, they're asking their trainers to bring them out earlier. So those good horses are coming out earlier in the season. Uh, the, the horses I was winning with 20 years ago probably wouldn't win now, you know? In that way, did, did yesterday's success give you that bit more satisfaction than the one back in 97? Well, it was really good. I mean, you know, we, I've been very lucky. I've been in the basin since, since I was 15. And, um, you know, to get, get a horse like that for own myself was fantastic. But that tells you, tells you what's wrong with racing at the moment. I mean, there's, there's, it's very hard for a small owner and trainer to compete at the level nowadays. I mean, I went to the sale I bought her at. It was Ascot Sales, uh, Yearling Sale. And I went there really with no orders, but looking, thought I might see some breeders hadn't sold the horses might put them in training with me and I went there and it's so depressing for everybody there was all these nice horses and nobody there to bid you know and I ended up buying this just this one and there was lots of nice horses at Ascot being given away for a couple of thousand pounds you know which would could win races but they just disappeared abroad and things like that there's there's not enough people around to buy the cheaper horses and put them in training anymore you know with that in mind this this meant that this horse ran in 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 your wife's colors and and therefore I suppose that's great for you in the fact that prize money-wise, that, that's huge for you. But, where, I mean, were there any offers to come in, Rod? I, I suppose that means, naturally, that, that's something, given the position you're in, that you, you'd have to think about. Well, when yes, I mean, obviously we would do, you know. Um, but um, at the moment, we're just riding the wave, really, you know. <laughs> it's great to be great to be... I mean, we nearly sold her once um, early in the season, and we didn't in the end, and I'm glad we didn't know. But, um, you know, she's been a lovely filly since about February we really thought she was going to be nice and um, like I say she's been not been at the first two yet Were you worried about the draw? Well I was a little bit and, and then I went and walked the course and I could see that the middle was getting cut up quite badly and I thought well, this might not be a bad draw after all you know 
and, and um, we probably had the best of the ground. And luckily, they ordered for me because my filly probably isn't really a five furlong filly. She probably wants six, really. And um, she only just got on top right at the very end. If it had been fast growing, we probably would have only been fifth or sixth, I expect, you know? And, he's, and Holly Doyle next to me right now, she, she got a spot on for you. Yeah, she, 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 she put the edge on her, you know. <laughs> you got a cut coming your way, Holly. <laughs> that's it, that's um, it. But no, it's great. I mean, I mean, the Super Sprint's a, love, a great idea because it gives the smaller owners a chance for that big day out. I mean, when, when I'm trying to sell yearlings to people, I'm, I'm trying to sell them a lottery ticket, you know? Mm. And of course, you had another exciting Philly win later on for you as well, ridden by Jimmy Quinn. Yeah, well, Holly, Holly, Holly's, Holly set that up for me to start. Look out, right, that's it. Holly, <laughs> the, the check's in the post, Rod, yeah? yeah? no, Holly, Holly gave that a nice ride in the, in early in the year, but unfortunately another jockey needed pushed her over the rails. <laughs> um, I, th- I said to Jimmy afterwards, when did you ride your first winner for Rod? He said he thinks it's when he was claiming, so it went way back. Oh, it, was a long, it would have been a long time ago, I think, yes, that's right. Um, of course, the problem we had, you see, she had a low weight. And um, it was hard to get a jockey. Anyway, Jim stepped in, stepped in and did a great job, you know. It has, again, so I was discussing with, with James on, on the channel a few days ago, really has been a great season for you. Um, I mean, was this what you expected coming into this year? Well, we had a nice bunch this year. Um, I, every, 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 every February you start off with, you've got a nice bunch. You've got to, you've got to sort of be, be, um, be looking forward to the season, you know. And unfortunately, some of them fall by the wayside and some surprise you. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Now, the Qatar Cooper Festival is not far away, and a man that traditionally has a pretty good time of it there is Mark Johnston. We've been to see him a little bit earlier on in the week, just gone to talk about his Goodwood army. Are you revved up now to take on Stradivarius again with DXB? Is he, is he in a place where he is absolutely fit and firing for it in a, in a couple of yeah, weeks? Yes, I think so. I think he is. Um... But it's not about, you know, we've changed something and or he's got better or we feel we can see some weakness in Stradivarius. No, I, I know it's a mountain to climb, but I know that the only only certainty in this game is if we don't run, we don't win. He didn't lose any of his credibility whatsoever. In fact, in my humble opinion, the effort he put up at Ascot was superb. He lost his unbeaten record this season, but he's bumped into seemingly one of the very top stairs of recent times, hasn't he? Um, in your personal opinion, how do you reflect on Ron Ascot? Yeah, no, I think we learned more from it. You know, we've learned a lot about the horses. Um, I think he probably is better this year than last year. Um, but you know, we know now, we've run him enough times that we're, we're learning that you know, he is a bit too laid back for his own good. He's a bit slow to get going, a bit slow to respond. Um, you know, if he if he was running at a lower level, I'm sure we probably would have blinkers on by now. Um, it's something I wouldn't rule out for the future. Uh, if we just need to sharpen him up a little bit, um, but for the mo- for the moment, you know, we're not you know suggesting he's not genuine. The way the horse battles back is fantastic. Um, it's just this need to have something to battle with and. 
uh, it's not always there in these races. Is, is he to a degree, could he almost be isolated in the, well, the most part of the race, given that he does his thing on the front end? Would You said earlier, you said it would be lovely to give him a pacemaker, but to find a pacemaker of that calibre wouldn't be easy, would it? No, exactly. And, and yeah, obviously, uh, Coolmore, Godolphin, they find pacemakers you're in the, the the biggest of world races um but it does obviously get much more difficult when you get to to cup race level um you're going that much further to find a horse that's that's good enough and um one of the things i've touched already on the fact that james willoughby tells me that one year double trigger um did the fastest final furlong of the goodwood meeting yeah uh, including the five furlong races and, uh, and that's quite remarkable and you make a big mistake if you ever think that group one cup horses are not fast they are, they are very fast uh, when you compare them to horses of lesser calibre and so you can't just take your your particularly for a horse like, like DXB where we're all saying he's a bit lazy and a bit laid back but uh, you know, at Sandown, I had had three in the race, and yeah. um, Austrian School could go with him, but Making Miracles couldn't. Yeah, uh, and he's a so high-class handicapper. He's a very high-class handicapper. Mm. He's a Chester Cup winner, uh, made all in the Chester Cup, albeit in heavy ground conditions. But you know, he's he's no slouch, but he wasn't up to leading DXB. Um, so. You know, it's not easy to find a horse. You can't. You don't just f find yourself some staying handicapper and think that's going to to set the sort of pace that DXB needs. I mentioned earlier to you about the two-year-olds that, in the last couple of decades, Mr. Bailey's and then, of course, Shamadown, and this year, Visinari um, to go to the Vintage Stakes. On reflection now for Newmarket, you mentioned about the six furlong should have been seven furlong, but at the same time. He ran a race of real distinction, didn't he, at Newmarket? Yeah, I think so. You, it's it's always dangerous to say ifs or buts or what, what might have been different, and um, it would be wrong of me to detract from the performances of the horses who beat him. And you know, I don't know; they may be looking to go to the vintage as well. Yeah. Uh, but my gut feeling tells me this is a Group One horse, and that he'll take a lot of beating in the vintage. How often do you have a gut feeling like that? I'm not really sure. Some of them might be completely wrong. <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> in, your, in, your, in your sort of, if you were weighing it up, um, I'll put you on the spot slightly, but would you feel like you are more often than not right? Thinking no, about I, like I don't know, to be honest. Maybe I'm not that often right. You know, I suppose I had all those feelings about Dark Vision after he won the Vintage Stakes last year. Um, so, But this is different. This is a horse that had won a maiden yeah so are you having those thoughts after that going into Newmarket or or subsequently has, has nothing changed um yeah I was I was having those thoughts going into Newmarket yes I was just like everybody else I was hugely impressed um with him at Newmarket obviously we thought quite a lot of him to take him to a Newmarket novice for his first start yeah. um and yeah, but I did go back after Newmarket and say, well, hang on a minute, you know, just what has he done on the gallops? Looked at what he'd worked with, what's he beaten on the gallops? Um, 
should we have known he was just as good as that? Um, because he's he wasn't a horse that uh, we were thinking of running in the Brocklesby or anything like that. <laughs> you know, he wasn't a star. But I see he never would have been. You know, he's no. he's well over sixteen hands tall and. Um, he doesn't look like your typical six-funnel horse. I was physically to look at him, um, how much more this year alone would there be to come, do you think, in terms of his, his physicality and the development there? I think there'll be a bit more to come. You know, yeah. He'll be improving all the time, hopefully. Um, uh, you sometimes you know, sometimes get these big two-year-olds that are really... you know, They're just bigger than everything else. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the big, tall kid at school and nobody can beat them at running. Um, so even if they're ungainly and weak, um, they're still fast just with the fact that they've got longer legs than the rest. Um, but you know, I think there's a bit more to him than that. You know, he's, it's not going to be a case of when the others grow up to his size that they're going to be better than him. It, I'd like to think it's going to be more of a case of he's going to get better and better as he strengthens and matures. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai. And my next guest is a classic winning trainer, a Yorkshireman moves south who has enjoyed a stellar training career in Newmarket. But it was announced earlier this week by himself that that training career was soon to come to an end. That man to my left is Mark Tompkins. We've just been talking all things Sheffield Wednesday because originally, Mark, <laughs> you're a Sheffield man. Yes, well, from between Sheffield and Manchester, yeah, but mainly near Sheffield, yes. Um, and we were talking about how Chris Hooton would be a great appointment, so we wish you all the best <laughs> with that. He would be. hope they get him. Um, what about your, your move to Newmarket and the fact that, that, that you're a Yorkshireman that ended up there? I was with Carl Burt recently, who's a, a man who moved up north to train there. How did it come about, Mark, that, that you moved from your hometown to end up training in Newmarket? Well, I, I started off with Walter Wharton, who was a marvellous trainer. He, and he'd been in Newmarket and then moved to Melton Mowbray, Walter, uh, when he trained for a major holiday uh, in Newmarket. But um, I finished up being... Uh, I'd, I'd worked for one or two people, and then I, I came to Captain Ryan Jarvis, who was William's father, and, and him and his wife, Jean, were absolutely marvellous to me. And um, I was there about 74, 75, and then I started training on my own when, when the governor retired in, in 1979. How soon did Newmarket really start to, to feel like home? Because you're, you're ingrained in Newmarket society <laughs> now, aren't you, with the Trainers' Federation, etc. So, how, I mean, how soon did, you, did, you, did it feel like home? Well, Newmarket's one of those places, and I tell everybody who comes, whether, whether they come in as a, a stable lad or a secretary or a bloodstock agent or whatever they, they, whatever they come as for the first time, if you can stick a fortnight of Newmarket, you're fine. But if you, if you can't, if, for the first fortnight, then you, then you think you've come to the wrong place. But I knew straight away I'd come to the right place. Because it it's horses, isn't it? And uh, everybody was so, so kind to me, and I've had a lot of um, help from everybody. How... How much has it changed over, what are we talking now, for, for, over 40 years? How much well, has it changed? Unbelievably, unbelievably. It's changed completely. The whole racing industry has changed completely. And that's the, um, that's the one thing that's, that's quite sad. And I don't quite know where it's going. I heard you talking about different things uh, earlier. And it's a, it's a very it's a, it's a strange world now. Because we, we, in those days, we used to, there wasn't an amount of racing. That's the thing. The fixture list has just gone balmy. And it's and you just can't control it now. That that's the that's the major problem really because we used to know everybody. We we didn't have racing on Sundays. We didn't have the evening as many evening meetings as we used to do. 
and we used to know everybody. We'd, you know, we'd, we'd actually have a, have a friend or two in Newmarket. But now everybody's working seven days a week flat out. And that's, why, that's how racing's changed. But we used to know the, the different owners. We'd know the bookies. We'd know, we'd know everybody. We'd stay. We'd know, you'd go to Air and you'd stay for a few days or you'd go to Goodwood and probably stay. Or, or, or you'd go everywhere and you'd have time for everybody. But nowadays we seem to be rushing about everywhere. And that's how, it's, to me, it's disappointing that it has changed that way because a lot of the enjoyment has gone out of it, really, because we're, we, we're, te- we're constantly flat out. Everybody is, not just the trainers, the stable staff are flat out. And they're the people who, who are the powerhouse of the industry, really. And they are flat out from morning to night, seven days a week, and they don't stop. So you, you would be in camp too much racing? Oh, without any there. doubt. Without any doubt. Without any doubt. There's much too much racing. 500 fixtures are much too much racing. You see, the racecourses want them because they make money out of it now with, with, with the media rights. That was the... Once that once the media rights happened, it was a it was a gravy train for the racecourses. Although they'll say, "Whoa, no, it's not." It it was that, that, that's why they want so many fixtures because they get so much a race, you know. And so they they'll they'll put them on on time and time again. We've got to. We, 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 nothing lasts stays the same forever was a great saying an old boy told me years ago and he was certainly right about that nothing does stay the same forever and things have to have to change and it's, a lot of things have changed for the better with the veterinary side of it and and all that side of it is, is brilliant and horses are looked after this race and welfare thing is ridiculous i always agree with mark johnson it's ridiculous race horses are looked after unbelievably well now far better than they ever were yeah, far better than they ever were you know if they had an injury they're, they're on the operating theatre in Newmarket within 10, they can run within 10 minutes well, we'll we went to a hospital it would be three or four hours in a waiting list they'll, they'll, be, they'll be done looked after well so they're brilliantly looked after but, but it's, the, it's the whole, it's the whole um, fixture list thing which is, which is just getting everybody uh, tired out, really. I know horse welfare is something huge on your agenda. There's a whole section of your website dedicated to where are they now, which, yes. is, which is great to see. Yeah. Um, how, how difficult is it, not just in your yard but other yards, given the amount of racing, which means the amount of horses we have, to really control and, and, and monitor that? And, and how much more can we do on that end of things? Well, it, well it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's 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 the it's the whole it's the whole thing. If you're in the eight, if you're in the eight thirty at Wolverhampton or the eight whatever, whatever the nine o'clock at Wolverhampton that that have been having, um, and you're coming home, then the A fourteen, then the M six has got a crash on it. The A fourteen is shut, which is if you've ever been by Newmarket, then you've diverted through Cambridge or down, and you're not getting home till two o'clock. And, and say that's on a Friday or Saturday night, and then you're on Sunday. Then that's member of staffs on Sunday morning. Well, if it's not going to do it very often if, if, if it keeps happening, but it keeps happening time and time and time again. And that, that's, that's why we need an all-weather... I think we need cent- much... I, I hate myself to say it because I've always thought it shouldn't happen, but, but we need centralised a lot more centralised racing. We need an all-weather track at Newmarket, which we've got the planning... Well, we've got all the... We know exactly where it's going to be and the layout and everything that's sorted out. But we, we could have the 10 o'clock at Newmarket. We could have racing all day at Newmarket. But then, so there'll be perhaps um, people working racing, perhaps trainers like yourself who don't train in Newmarket watching this saying, oh, hang on, this is another, this is another Newmarket thing. No, you know, no, I'm all for, listen, I'm all for the thing. We should have, they should have put an all-weather track at Weatherby. So all the northern boys, when they did, when they realigned Weatherby, they should have done that because that's a lovely big galloping track. It would be fine. They could have had a, and they should have had one on the inside at Newbury. 
But you've got to have foresight, and a lot of people haven't got it. The BHA, a lot of the BHA people haven't got it. They need foresight. We need to be thinking of what's going to happen in the future in 20, 30 years' time. But if we don't do, we're going to be, we are going to definitely be in trouble. And, and is that the, the creation of those all-weather tracks that you're, you're talking around, dotted yes. around, would that just not lead to, to more and more racing? Until it sort of spirals no, out of wouldn't control. Because a, few race, because a few race tracks will close without any doubt, and they've got to close. They're a bit like greyhound tracks and football grounds. They're in the wrong place. They're in the, they're in the, so you can build on them on whatever you want to do. But if we're going to go forward, we have to think what's going to go forward. And it, Listen, I've come to the end of my career. I've had a fantastic time for 40 years, and, I'm, and we're still going to be very, very much involved in this, so you're not going to lose me. But, I mean, we're still going to be involved in it. But, but I just want, I want it for the youngsters of today. I want it for the young trainers who are coming into it. Do, but, you, do you... I mean, it sounds like you do. Do you, do you. On the direction we're in at the moment, do you, do you fear for the, for the future of racing? I do. I do, a lot, because we're being run by people who, who don't quite have any foresight and who just want their pensions and the, and the money, and they don't, understand, they don't understand what's going on. They, they say they do, but they don't, because they, 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 aren't, they, aren't they aren't involved with it. And is that because, Mark, there is such a disconnect by um, individuals who perhaps come from different backgrounds, which can, of course, be a good thing and take things in different directions, but who, who perhaps aren't on the ground running... What is, in, in essence, a very niche industry on the ground doing what you're doing day in, day out and, and working at the, the hours that you do? And it's difficult almost to have an understanding of that. Therefore, it's, it's difficult to take the sport in the direction that, that people like you have needed it to go in. Yes, and they don't, and they don't really listen, I don't think, either. You know, that's, that's the problem. That, 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 that is the problem. Since the jockey club uh, changed from, from, being a, from being the people who, who ran racing and all those old jockey club members... Uh, had studs of their own, owned owned horses in training. They did it all, uh, uh, and they maybe they maybe weren't modern and professional enough. And maybe some of the sons didn't come into it how they, how we tried it done. And again, time moves on, and you have to you know you have to modernise. But since the B, since we moved it to the BHA, and it's still in London, which is I can't understand why they're in London. I just can't, I know they'll say they're near the MPs and near the Parliament and all this thing. But you can be in you could be in Wellingborough, you could be in Halifax. It doesn't matter where you are because you can still get on a train to get to London to go and see some MPs if you want to if you want to lobby them. But they should have them. They should be inviting MPs to come to Newmarket, come to the races, come come all over the place, like they you know, so they understand it all. You go to Ireland, you'll see a lot of politicians in Ireland going racing, enjoying it, being with the crowd, and seeing the enjoying the crack of it all. But we, when have you ever seen a last an MP just wandering around the bookies at at Sandown or at Oh, uh, Chepstow. Never, I don't think. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.